0: A historic hunter-hawker is doing a stunt for an audience at the air show in Shoreham when something goes terribly wrong. What caused this flight to crash on a busy road close to the air show? Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick.
1: I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. And today we have... Caitlin.
0: Yay. Woohoo. Our social coordinator's here.
1: Yeah, I'm like the guest,
2: permanent guest, not guest, because I work here yes. now. Yes. So uh, <laughs> if there's no guest, I'll be on.
0: Now does all the social media things.
2: That's why you've been seeing our Instagram blowing up.
0: That's why things are happening. That, <laughs>
2: that we don't normally do. <laughs> not usually.
0: Things Things are starting to happen on the social platforms for us that we just don't have time to do otherwise.
1: We, we've also realized that Caitlin is a very good check for us. We've gotten, Miranda has gotten to the point that she doesn't ask as many questions anymore because she understands how things work. But there are also people who are listening to the podcast anew who may not have the same knowledge. This is true. But also, if this is your first episode, go back like a hundred episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I Maybe think, more than that. I think you should listen in order. But there are some people here who don't do that. That's me. Hi. That's me. I'm the problem. It's me.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: I jump around when I listen to podcasts. I, I think you're insane. I don't, I can't tell you why I do it. I just do. You are chaos. Ready,
0: chaos. ready for my deep confession? What? I don't listen to podcasts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Not that deep of a confession. <laughs> no, Nick. weirdly, no. I have found that on most podcasts, there's usually one host who just doesn't listen to podcasts. That's me.
0: Hello. I listen to whatever you listen to. Yeah. Only when you're listening to it around me. Otherwise, nope. Don't go out of my way for that. I listen to music in the car and stuff.
1: And I don't listen to music.
0: I know. So.
1: Anyway.
3: Okay. Anyway. <laughs> if you got ducks recently, like if you ordered ducks, they should be getting out to you pretty soon. We're sorry. Uh, we're having issues with postage
1: right now. Yes. It's not our fault, actually. I'm not going to point a fingers. but really
0: dumb website.
1: It's a really intelligent website that's being dumb. Yeah. That. And
3: pages is having issues sending stuff out. So if you haven't received something you're supposed to receive.
0: I promise it's coming. It's coming. Most of it's actually been packed and ready to go. It's just the matter of getting the posted situation fixed.
3: Okay. I don't know if there's any more housekeeping.
0: We don't really know. Send us stories. We haven't really had a topic in a while. But
3: we might be able to do a stories. I need a look. I forgot to do that today. But there may be enough to do another stories
1: episode.
0: It's summertime. Send us some summer stories. Do something summery.
1: I have a new plug for one of our merch items. The bento box is super cute and fantastic.
2: It is very cute. True. I will vouch that. Cool. All right.
1: So, what are we covering today, Nick?
0: Today we are covering the 2015 Shoreham Air Show crash.
1: Thanks, thank you. To, thank you to our patron Helen, Helen. for recommending this. Thanks, Thanks Helen. Helen. Helen recommended this during one of our Zoom calls. Yes. So there are several episodes that are coming
0: up that are by (laughs) Helen. 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 (laughs) Thanks, Helen. Not just
1: Helen.
3: There's people that have been added on. Yes. Like today. (laughs) Yes. But.
0: So. Yes.
1: Thank you to our new patron, Terry. Thank you.
0: Thanks. (laughs) Thank you. This accident occurred on August the 22nd of 2015.
1: Not that long ago.
0: No, not that long ago. It
1: it literally was like
3: right when I started college.
0: Yeah. This was a Hawker Hunter T7 with the tail number Golf-Bravo X-Ray Foxtrot India. The Hawker Hunter T7 is a Hawker-built fighter jet and trainer for the Royal Air Force in the UK. Oh, okay. This is an old one, though. It's an old aircraft. It's not really a current use. That's for sure. The Hawker Hunter. It's not to say that there aren't some in existence, but they are not common, nor do they need to be. Not a very common airplane, period. It never really was. Single jet, but it is powerful enough. The pilot for this aircraft was Andy Hill. He was 51 years old. At the time, he had 14,249 hours total. Dang. He was a commercial pilot for the airlines. He had all sorts of type ratings. He only had 43 hours on the type, though. This isn't entirely unheard of or unexpected.
1: This is an expensive aircraft to operate.
0: This is an expensive aircraft to operate that he does not own. It belongs to a group that maintain it. It is one of the flying pieces of history, and he is just the pilot for it. He has his own aircraft, but that's why he doesn't have a lot of hours on it. They are expensive to maintain and operate once you get into these pieces of flying history, so they don't fly them very much. It's not uncommon for the pilots to not have a lot of hours on them, but they also don't usually fly them very much, period, so they don't, there's not a lot of risk in that, per se. The day before the flight, the accident flight, the pilot ran through checks with the maintenance engineer personnel to ensure the aircraft was fit for the flight. He also read over his ground school notes for the aircraft capabilities and limitations. He had to do this because he does not fly it very often. Mm -hmm. So he was rereading through what the aircraft is capable of, what its limitations are. So this literally is to go over, you know, speeds and all sorts of things. Uh, There's all the different capabilities of the airplane because he's going to be taking it through some airshow maneuvers. So not to be caught off guard. The aircraft was refueled and timings were reviewed for the flight the next day. So what time he was expected to... Be preparing and taking off and getting to the air show because the airplane was not kept at Shoreham, which is where the airshow was. It was kept at another airport, not very far away at all. Very close, actually. North Wield Airfield. Or Weld, I don't know. One of those. The day of the accident, more checks and pre-flight activities took place before it was signed off by the engineer and ready for flight. The pilot had flown his private light aircraft to the North Wield Airport Airfield, where the Hunter was based— before completing his pre-flight checks and requesting full fuel be added to the aircraft. With all the preparations complete, the engine was started and the pilot began taxiing down Runway 12, then backtracked down Runway 02 to line up on Runway 02 for takeoff. The weather was good that day. There was really nothing of note about the weather at any point in time. So, usually on airshow days, that's kind of how you want things. Ideally. Ideally. Otherwise, what's the point? Aircraft took off at 12.04 p.m. and headed toward the south coast to Shoreham for the air show. The flight was to be the first display flight of the afternoon session at the air show. This was also the first of two days of the air show. So the two days were, of course, supposed to be basically identical. And there's a morning session and an afternoon session both days. And the display for the Hawker Hunter was supposed to be the first thing in the afternoon session, the first display in the afternoon session. The flight to Shoreham was uneventful and very quick. Once in the area, the pilot began a left-holding pattern between 1,800 and 2,500 feet near Brighton while waiting for his clearance to commence his display. A short time later, he received said clearance. At 12.20 p.m., the Shoreham Airport controller reported the weather as good. They actually gave him all the specifics. They gave him, like, winds were this, visibility this, everything just told him. But basically, weather was good. The pilot flew parallel to the coast in a gradual descent, doing a single inversion, or in other words, flipping upside down along the way. Likely to check for any loose items in the cockpit. Make sure that, you know, when I you go... I guess that's
1: one way to do it. Yeah,
0: when you go to do your actual display, you don't want to be surprised by things floating about in the cockpit with you.
1: Yeah, I guess you can't just, like, have a mug of coffee with you.
0: <laughs> Generally <laughs> You not. could.
3: It would hurt pretty bad Well, when the coffee spilt on you.
0: Yes, but, you know, actually, technically. What? Typical force. It would just, oh. It would just stay there, actually. That wouldn't be the problem. That's not really so much what you're after. You're looking for things that might actually be a problem. <laughs> like what? Pens.
3: Oh. <laughs> you don't want to be impaled by a pen? No.
0: Preferably no. Pens, pins, anything that might be, like, loose on your clothing, loose on in the cockpit, maybe something came loose, some who knows. Your cell phone sitting in the
1: cup holder. Yeah,
0: something like that. You don't want anything to surprise you, basically. With the aircraft back to wings level, he descended to 800 feet and then made a right turn to line up with the display line on the west side of runway 02 or 20 at Shoreham. So we've talked about this in other instances, but at any time there's an air show, there's a display line. It's a requirement. This is around the world. This is a requirement. There's supposed to be a display line. This is the area where... The aircraft that is doing the display is supposed to be doing said display. It's supposed to be over the the show line, which is usually not the runway, by the way. It is usually to one side of the runway and not over the people (laughs) also. It's not to say you can't fly over the people, but there are, if you're going to be doing certain maneuvers, they should be over the show line, the display line. And that is also because that is the direction the audience is supposed to be facing. So that is the, the more, I don't know. That's where you want to be seen.
3: Yeah, you don't want the thing that happened in that one where yeah. it literally flies through people while it crashes.
0: Yeah, that's why shorelines, ex- showlines. Oh, we
3: haven't showed you that.
0: That's why sh- showlines oh. exist. Yeah. yeah, it
3: was, I
1: think it was a Russian airplane. Wasn't yeah, it was a Sukhoi.
2: Yeah, that's scary. I did see the video once where a hot air balloon flew through a crowd of people,
1: almost took out a child. Okay, now make it a fighter
0: jet. Yeah. Huh. Fun fact about hot air balloons. They have the right of way over everything.
1: No matter what. Because they can't (laughs) steer. They they can't steer. (laughs) Yeah, very fair. So,
0: not a total surprise when they just come down on people. You should still avoid that, but...
1: A hot
2: air balloon and plane incident ever?
0: There have been. Yeah, Hmm. absolutely. Not that we've
2: covered. No. That
0: doesn't mean we couldn't. Right. New
1: suggestion. (laughs) Find one.
0: Yeah. Find one with a report.
1: That's the hard part. I know. Give me 10 minutes.
0: Okay. All right.
2: (laughs) And I'm not on my work computer. Cool.
0: The pilot had to send it down to just 100 feet as he flew along the display line for a low and quick pass. So this was the first time that everybody got to see the Hawker Hunter T-7 as he flew very low right across the display line.
1: Oh, cool. Pretty. Yeah. Wow. uh, Look at that airplane.
0: Makes lots of noise.
1: Awesome. Wow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that. (laughs) After exiting the display line on the opposite end, the pilot began a gradual climb to the right before executing a dairy turn. To the left, at a peak of eighteen hundred feet. Yes. The now. hell is a dairy <laughs> turn? <laughs> All right. We're 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 gonna start talking about some air show stuff because some <laughs> have good to do old with cows. Some aerobatic things. No,
2: it's, it's because they
1: move. I know. It's
0: d e r r y. It's like the dairy. It's like the county dairy or the town oh, dairy okay.
1: in Erland. In, in, in Ireland.
0: So, it, it's likely named after a person. <laughs> The dairy turn is actually a very interesting maneuver.
1: Now I gotta look this ish up.
0: There's actually a phenomenal go to the report, and it is figure one.
1: No, I mean, where did the term come from?
0: Okay, so, the best way I can explain this to be working, he's in a right bank, making a right turn. You want to go left from your right bank. The best thing you can do is invert the airplane all the way over till you're back on the left side, and then you pull the elevator, and you come around to the left instead. So... That's that, a dairy that's turn. That's
1: crazy. As a demonstration pilot, John Derry developed a new type of aerobatic maneuver, which See? became known as the dairy turn. It Ooh. consists of a reversal of bank during a steep turn, which is performed with the aircraft passing through the inverted rather than upright attitude.
0: Right. Yep. See, it was named after somebody. Dang. Yes. So, yeah, he's in the right turn. He wants to go to a left turn. The best way to do that, literally invert yourself, come all the way over to the left, and then
1: continue. Science.
0: Now, normally of course you would do a right over left yeah. over, over the top rather than under, but hey, why not? You're, you want
3: to be fancy. You
0: want to be fancy. There's nothing wrong with it. So he did this basically get going back 180 degrees the other direction so that he can start setting up for the next maneuver. Hmm. The next maneuver is the dangerous one. Hmm. In case you haven't picked up on that.
1: I'm sorry, did I give that away? <laughs>
0: This was followed by a descending left turn to line up once again with a display line approaching from the north instead of the south this time, so going the opposite direction. Just before reaching the airport, while well over the A-27 carriageway, this is a highway for those that don't know what a carriageway is. It's a, it's a major thoroughfare, mm-hmm. basically. He's over the A-27 just short of the airport, okay. but they can see him from the, the show area. The pilot began the next maneuver, known as a bent loop. So. The bent loop consists of going straight up. When you get to the top, so normally you're supposed to go straight up, accelerate, you get to the top, pull power, you invert, come back down. It it causes you to come out at a different angle than you entered it at.
1: I explain it better later. Yeah.
0: There will be a little more explanation into this later, but the whole point is it is a loop, but it involves also... Twisting the airplane, basically. I feel
1: like that's prime stall territory. No, not not enough.
0: necessarily. Actually,
1: you have to approach it at the right height, the right speed, and the right amount
0: of power. And the aircraft actually had plenty of speed going through the loop. You, there's, it's an air show. Plenty of speed going through the loop.
1: <laughs> I would like to dispute that fact.
0: <laughs> the airplane didn't stall, did it? It had plenty of speed going through the loop.
1: That wasn't the problem.
0: No, that but is not the problem. But we will get there. That's, I, I stated it was not.
1: It was not installed territory.
0: I stated this very specifically. It was not at risk of stalling. No, and not at any point in time. Now, that said, there were other issues. We'll talk about those later on. And because this is an air show, unfortunately, there there's was- also plenty of video of this. Spectators and witnesses watched as the aircraft went straight nose up before inverting and beginning to descend on a different heading than the heading that the pilot had entered the maneuver. As the aircraft pitched back to wings level, it quickly became apparent that the aircraft would not be able to recover in time before striking the ground. The aircraft pitched up slightly harder at the last second, but this was not enough to prevent the aircraft from striking and sliding along the A27, through some cars and a small gathering of onlookers that were watching the air show from off of the airport. They were literally like in the median of an intersection. There was a bunch of people, and unfortunately this aircraft went through that. Ooh. Yep. Not a good thing.
3: When they were when they came back when he came back down?
0: Yeah. He came down. You'll see the video and it'll make a lot more sense, but okay. he came back down and slid right down the highway through a bunch of cars and people.
2: Ooh. So by slid you mean like on like plane making contact with the ground.
0: Yep. Okay. Very heavily. I see. The wings detached and immediately caused a large fireball. Yeah. That engulfed several vehicles on the road.
3: Uh, when you have full fuel? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's why I mentioned that. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. The pilot was thrown from the aircraft with his seat. We'll talk about that later on. The airplane separated into several major sections. First responders were at the crash site within 90 seconds, however. I mean... They are usually on call for yeah, they are. I, I they feel are, like
3: they would, should they be there. They are
0: queued up and ready to go. The one thing that went really well here was first responders were there very quickly and took care of things as quick as they could. That said... The pilot was rushed to the hospital and was critically injured, but remarkably survived and actually made a pretty much full recovery Wow! from the crash. Many on the ground were not so lucky.
3: No, he flew through cars. Yes, in I a would, very
0: large fireball. And there's some very...
3: It did not go well.
0: There's some very unbelievable pictures from this, but we'll, we'll, we'll show those, and I'm sure they'll be up on the website, but we'll show those if later. If I
3: can find them without them being licensed.
0: <laughs> According to the report... And I say according to the report because this number seems to be disputed. 11 people on the ground were minorly injured. One was severely injured, and another 11 perished. Yes, in the accident, after being struck by the aircraft. So, the reason I say that is because if you go on Wikipedia, it says there were 13 injuries, not 12. That, of course, includes the pilot. However, they're saying there's also 13 on the ground. So I was a little confused. I'm like, I don't know where they're getting these numbers from, but I'm going to go with whatever's in the report, since, of course, that is the factual information they had at the time. Yeah. After the accident happened, immediately after the accident happened, of course the air show stopped.
3: Uh, Yeah, I would hope so.
0: However, there was already an aircraft airborne and ready for its display. Mm. So because of what happened... They made the executive decision to allow the aircraft to do one tributary slow pass over the airfield. And then they canceled the second day and the rest of the events that day. The A-27 closed.
1: Which was really inconvenient. It's
0: actually a really bad thing because that was the only way in and out of the air show. Oh. So people were trapped there for hours until they could figure out a different route to get people out of there. People walked out because they were like, okay, cars aren't getting out of here. Yeah. They found other ways to get out of there. And... It didn't open for eight days. (laughs) Oh eight days.
3: People couldn't get their cars for eight days.
0: I mean, I'm sure they figured out how to get cars out of there eventually a different way, but that that portion of the A twenty seven was closed for eight days. So it was (laughs) yeah, quite the thing. That was that was that ended up being a pretty It's like when there's a pile up on I twenty
3: five. Yeah, right. Or I seventy.
0: So like I said, the whole accident was of course captured on video and pictures. Do you have that handy? Quite a few times over. I can pull it up if you want. Ready, y'all, for the video?
2: Hold on. Ready. Okay.
0: All right. This is him coming out of the end of the loop. Actually, no, this is him setting up for the loop, sorry. So he's entering show line just before the show line is where he started his maneuver. So this is the beginning of the loop. we will see the airplane kind of twists up over the top.
3: He's coming down.
0: Yep, back down the other end of the loop.
3: He lost a lot of altitude there.
2: Yeah. Ooh. Oh. oh! Oh! Fire! Oh! Big fire! Big fire! Oh. Oof! Well, my question was answered, and it did touch the ground.
0: Yeah! And yeah! I'll show you the picture in a minute.
2: How does someone
1: survive that? Uh, he got ejected, and actually, that's not the right term either. That's
0: a hot topic we will discuss later on, because the ejection thing comes up. The unfortunate thing I will state here is that. There were two action cameras in the cockpit. Oh. Yeah. This this None of this is public. There's a few things that are not public. One, there's a dash cam that was very close that got the whole thing. The whole thing. It's where the pictures come from, but the video was never publicly released. And in the cockpit, there were two. One of them did stop recording on impact. It was the one attached to the windshield. The other one, I think, might have been attached to the pilot, recorded the entire thing, him being ejected and everything. They even stated in the report that it recorded his conversation with the paramedics when they arrived and the questions they asked him and everything. So they actually caught, they heard everything. This was quite useful actually, but crazy. Like this, because it's an air show, there was so much coverage of this. So just a moment. This is the absolutely horrendous photo that was released.
3: What the heck is up in the air? Is that him?
0: No. No. That's just some piece of the airplane. Mm. No, at this point, I'm not sure if he had been injected yet, but if he had, he's probably sliding somewhere, not in this picture. But mm-hmm. you can see the crowd of people.
2: Oh, right next to it. Yeah.
0: That were gathered. I don't know if any of those people were the people that were injured. They also didn't clarify how many of the people that were injured or died were in cars or not. They did say that some of the cars, some of the people were in cars, but.
2: New question. Yes. When someone gets ejected from a plane, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. does he go, like, forward, sideways,
1: like, where is he? It depends if you're supposed (laughs) to be ejected or not, but usually it's up. Yeah. Because usually you essentially have rockets attached to your seat. And they repel
3: you out, so they go, they shoot you up. And then you have a parachute. And and there's a shoot, yeah.
0: In rare instances, down. (laughs) Some aircraft have downward ejection. That is a crazy concept. And yes, it's a thing.
1: For what? Oh, we also found a video. There's a th- helicopter now Yeah. that has an ejection yeah. upward. Think about that for a second. Yeah, okay. Rotor blades. Yeah. It ejects the rotor blades, and then it ejects you.
0: Right. So you pull the ejection, the blades pop off, get out of the way, and then you shoot up, and the helicopter falls to I ground.
2: mean, fancy idea. Okay, let's re-, re- Not a great idea. Let's take a few steps back. Not a good um, idea. <laughs> <laughs> Not a fancy idea. Yeah, no. So- is it meant to eject you downwards or is it just like Yeah, a, some
0: some do, some okay, are. Yes. Okay. Depending think, on the type of aircraft. I think that's a questionable decision
2: yeah why why like i guess mid-air
1: collision
0: depends on the kind of aircraft and there's actually very good reason for it depending on the type of aircraft look up the ones that do because helicopters it's safer to do it that way well yeah a helicopters are a no-brainer but most helicopters also just don't have ejection seats
2: yeah. so mm-hmm. okay one more question for me uh-huh. if he got ejected up did he not just land in the fire
0: no because we'll talk about the ejected part later ejected but- is not the correct word Right, but then in the report, that's what they said. Was he get... yeeted
1: the right word? Yes. Yeeted is an appropriate phrase. Okay. Does... So he
0: was yeeted from the airplane. Yes, Him in and... his seat. Him and his seat. Now that said, that didn't mean that ejection wasn't possible. We'll talk about that later on. Good
1: grief. Okay, this investigation was performed by the UK Air Accidents Investigation Branch, or the AAIB. We haven't talked A-I-B. about that a while. They're based in Farnborough. Yep. Which I'm sure is not how that's actually pronounced. It because is. oh, okay.
0: Remember, Airshow is the second largest airshow on the planet.
1: Almost nothing that I hear about the UK is pronounced the way you think it should be. I know. (laughs) So I am pleasantly surprised. That's fair. They may not have had the usual black boxes to work with, as this aircraft was not equipped with, nor was it required to be equipped with... An FDR or a CVR. Wow. But they had a lot of recordings to work with. The accident aircraft was equipped with two action cameras in the cockpit that were both recovered. Also on board was the pilot's smartphone which was actually used to help recreate his path. GPS. GPS.
0: Brilliant, right? Technology. Modern technology these days.
1: External recorded data came from radar tracks, radio transmissions, and numerous videos and photographs that the investigators received after they had put out a public call for them. The analysis of the accident was broken into four primary sections, aircraft handling, technical issues relevant to the accident flight, control of flying display risk, and engineering aspects. I will cover the first three as they are most relevant to the accident. The accident maneuver was to be a bent loop, which is kind of hard to explain, so please stop me if it doesn't make sense. A bent loop is a maneuver where you enter a normal loop by flying straight and level and pulling up. It differs here from a normal loop which would just go up, invert at the apex, and continue through the downward vertical and end going in the same direction as the loop was entered. In other words, the entry and exit ground tracks would be the same in a normal loop. In a bent loop when pulling up, the pilot would then input some sort of roll which would result in the exit track being different from the entry track, and the extent of the difference would depend on how much roll was input during the loop. During the accident sequence, the pilot bent the loop through 60 degrees, meaning that the exit track was 60 degrees to the right of the entry track and had actually aligned him with the highway instead of the display line. What might cause that?
0: In case you wanted to see, this is the figure in the report that shows it. I mean, watch the video because he actually did execute the bent loop as a bent loop, but... Not as intended. Not as intended. This is what he actually did. What was supposed to happen is a little different, although the bent loop, this is, like, this whole display up here is what a bent loop is.
1: I see. The aircraft entered the maneuver at a height of 185 feet, which is quite low. Very low. And a speed of 310 knots indicated. This is a problem because this maneuver has minimums for both entry height and airspeed, and anything below those values would require an abandonment of the maneuver. The minimums were 350 knots and 500 feet of height. Significantly
0: different than what he did.
1: How could he have made such a mistake? Did he look at his instruments? Well, the pilot couldn't tell you. He didn't remember any of the accident. Which I, I would assume would be the case when you go through something traumatic like that. Your brain something crazy like that, yeah. out. Not only traumatic, but he was seriously injured and put into a medically induced coma. Oh. Yeah. So... I don't blame him for not remembering.
2: He didn't land in the fire, though, right?
0: Don't know. Wasn't burned as far as we could tell.
2: No, 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 that's my biggest question. But whenever so you're
1: put in a coma, that definitely screws with your memory. Oh, right. yeah, for sure. So not just, like, mental trauma, but physical trauma and medically induced trauma.
0: They did say that his helmet saved his life. There were plenty of impacts on the helmet that displayed instances where he could have been even worse. You know, See, kids, injured, wear your helmets. Or, or you know, beyond that. So the helmet saved his life. But- Let's wear a helmet? Pilots of fighter jets wear helmets.
1: <laughs> I see that, and they usually also use them for oxygen.
2: Oh, I've seen <laughs> those cool masks; how they like fit to your face. Mm-hmm. This one really fancy.
0: This one didn't wasn't needed because he never got high enough. No, but but yes. But helmet. Helmet.
1: The cameras in the cockpit showed that he looked at his flight instruments four times in the thirty seconds leading up to the maneuver. But you can't tell from them if he was looking at his airspeed indicator. Because of this, it is possible that he may have a misread the airspeed. B, forgotten the target airspeed or used the wrong one, or C, decided to proceed even with the lower airspeed, which would have been a departure from his stated technique. Another crucial factor that may have led to the lower airspeed was engine thrust. For this maneuver to be performed correctly, you must select and maintain maximum thrust, which the pilot said was his standard technique, but the recorded information showed that the engine thrust had modulated during the climb, and maximum thrust was never achieved. Investigators were unable to determine how this might have happened as the throttle was not visible by either of the cameras in the cockpit. They determined that while mechanical issues cannot be ruled out, it is also possible that the variation in thrust could have been commanded by the pilot. Now for the apex of the maneuver. The available evidence indicated that the aircraft reached a height of 2,700 feet at 105 knots, both values lower than the pilot's stated targets. Test flights demonstrated that 2,700 feet is enough to complete the second half of the loop. But it's the absolute bare minimum, leaving no margin for error. That being said, the 2,700 feet was the tested minimum. But the pilot stated that his minimum was 3,500 feet, 800 feet higher than the test minimum. So as far as his personal procedures go, this was out of tolerance.
0: When you go to do airshow displays and things, you set your limits and you should never... Deviate. Deviate. Those are your limits. That's your safe space. That is aerobatics 101. Like... You never go outside of that comfort zone. Yes, you you push your comfort, but you set your limitations still. And when you go to do a display like this in an air show, you set up those maneuvers with very specific targets so that you execute it correctly.
1: The pilot stated that if any height was achieved below the 3,500 feet threshold, he would perform an escape maneuver and reduce rate of pitch, increase airspeed, and roll upright and climb. Had he ever had to do that? No. And he had never practiced it either. Oh boy! But investigators deemed that execution of this escape maneuver was consistent with the pilot's background and experience. They deemed it to be a safe and feasible escape maneuver should it have ever need to be implemented.
0: That said, do you mention that he the the bent loop in other aircraft? No. Okay, he has done bent loops before in other aircraft successfully because he does fly another type of fighter jet, but it is a smaller, slower type of fighter jet. That is much more capable of doing it. That's not to say it can't be done in this aircraft, but it does have to be. You have to do
1: it under certain circumstances. Right. It does have to be done
0: under very different circumstances. And he still never did, he never practiced exiting or abandoning the maneuver at any point in time. Escaping the maneuver. Yes, escaping the maneuver at any point in time. He, even in the other aircraft, but he had done bent loops before in the other aircraft. Correct.
1: The last thing that investigators considered regarding the handling of the aircraft during the maneuver was the possibility for cognitive impairment. It had been presented that the pilot may have suffered from acceleration or G-related impairment, but this was dismissed within a sentence as the action camera evidence from the accident, flight, and other flying displays showed that the pilot's behavior was not any different. Nope. Okay. Next section, technical issues. Could something have mechanically gone wrong and contributed to the accident? Starting with the flight instruments, investigators found that the right airspeed indicator was showing reasonable indications as it was captured on the action camera. But the left ASI was not visible. Bench testing proved that it had a permanent under-read of 100 feet, which the manufacturer attributed to an incorrect calibration or slippage of the gears during impact. So either it was calibrated wrong or the impact itself may have jostled the gears such that when tested, it read 100 feet lower than it should. They also found that in standby mode or in servo mode, it exhibited significant lag and stickiness. But the pilot said he was not at all in the habit of using either of those modes. Investigators also tested what remained of the pedostatic system and did not find any flaws. Next, they looked into the engine and its controls. If, for whatever reason, the engine wasn't working or didn't respond to its controls, that, you know, may have contributed. Objects and vegetation, otherwise known as foliage, Ingested into the compressor of the engine indicated that it was operating at the time of impact. Examination of the fuel system confirmed that it had been subjected to normal operation wear and had not suffered from pre- or post-impact failure. The engine manufacturer also analyzed the engine and found nothing wrong with it and that there was no evidence that it wasn't responding normally to the pilot inputs. But a previous AAIB report had found several previous cases of the Avon MK-122 engine having an uncommanded engine speed drop without a clear cause. So this could not be ruled out.
0: That was a fun little tidbit, I thought. So, you know, he's supposed to be going to basically full throttle through the climb to allow the aircraft to hold speed till the inversion at the top where you pull thrust. However, it did not do that.
1: But it, they don't know if that was him or the engine. Right.
0: It fluctuated on the up part of the loop, the, the ascent of the loop, where it briefly declined in thrust, and then gained thrust, and then reduced again, and it, but they couldn't prove if it was him or not.
1: Because they couldn't see the throttle in the camera. Mm-hmm. All video evidence indicated that the aircraft responded to flight control inputs, so no defects were indicated. The next analysis section is a little less tangible. The AAIB conducted an in-depth analysis on the organization, regulation, and preventative controls of airshows and the safety systems that they utilize. Oh boy.
0: This is an important thing, and we've talked a little bit about this, well, not even a little bit about it actually before. First up,
1: training programs. The Hawker Hunter is a very expensive aircraft to operate, has a limited engine life, and there aren't many spare parts available. As such, training was often carried out in concurrence with other purposes to minimize aircraft use. A training syllabus was created by the operator and approved by the CAA, but the exercises entailed were not very detailed and didn't specify the learning objectives, which, as the teacher to my right can tell you, is less effective because of that. If you don't know what you're supposed to be learning, how, how, how is it supposed to teach you?
0: Correct.
3: You're not wrong.
1: As I mentioned earlier, the pilot had not practiced the escape maneuver in this aircraft. While he had experience flying aerobatics and other jet aircraft, which would be relevant to an escape maneuver like this one, it's not the same thing. Nope. Furthermore, training flights were not recorded by the operator, as is required by CAA regulation. This means they didn't have training records to provide to investigators. Investigators deemed their training program to be ineffective. Hmm.
0: Fun, Trash. Fun fact. He was flying this air show on a Temporary Training Aircraft Type Rating Exemption.
3: Should that even exist?
0: Yes, because a lot of aircraft are only single seat or dual seat, and there's not necessarily any instructors available to teach you how to fly these aircraft, so they create these exemptions so that you're allowed to learn how to fly the aircraft, and usually they're good for one year. You're supposed to rack up a certain amount of hours, go through a certain amount of maneuvers, learn the aircraft systems, Prove that you can do it, basically, and then end of story. So
1: I have a little more about this. It. Right. Next question. What are the regulations for pilot competency for display purposes?
3: Yeah, I was going to say, why was he in an airship if he has a temporary <sighs> certificate?
1: The pilot had renewed his display authorization in June of 2015 in an RV-8 light piston-engined aircraft. Does yep. that sound like a fighter jet to you? No.
0: Definitely not. It's a small little piston airplane.
1: And yet, like a Cessna to me. And yet this. Smaller than that. And yet this renewal of his display authorization or DA renewed his DA for all other aircraft types, including the accident aircraft. Why?
0: Because it's it's a one size fits all.
1: But it shouldn't be. It
0: allows you to do these air shows no matter the aircraft.
3: It's so I'm just concerned that you have a temporary license.
0: Well, he doesn't have a temporary license. He has a temporary aircraft type rating.
3: I, d- I just don't, like, I don't understand why you're allowed to do, I understand, like, training on it, mm-hmm. sure, but why are you allowed to do displays in an airplane that you're still getting a
1: type rating for? Well, he has the type rating. It's temporary, but he has it.
0: It's an exemption. So technically, he's type did rated. Why should you be
1: able to do an air show in something like that? I feel like you should not have a temporary type rating. You should have a type rating for the aircraft. They're not mutually exclusive.
0: Correct.
1: A display authorization is the ability to perform at a display regardless of aircraft. He proved he could do it in one aircraft, therefore he's allowed to do it in any aircraft. Yes. It's, I, I know. <laughs> It's not a
3: one-size-fits-all.
1: During his previous renewal of his DA in September 2014, he had flown second in a formation pair of jet provosts, and he was not required to demonstrate his own ability to make decisions or manage the flight path or energy of the aircraft. He was allowed to be renewed just by following another aircraft in the display formation. Uh Uh-huh. What? Yep. (sighs) And yet, both of these renewals were in compliance with regulations, but both failed to evaluate the pilot's ability to perform the display he had on the day of the accident. Having fun yet? No. So, what structures were in place to ensure safety during air shows? The Flying Control Committee, or FCC, not to be confused with the U.S. Federal Communications Commission, stated that they mitigated the hazard of an aircraft crashing outside the airfield boundary by monitoring the events of the day. But footage of the 2014 show with the same aircraft showed that it had flown over congested areas of Lansing, and the FCC did not appear to detect or act upon it. The FCC did not stop the display on the day of the accident when the accident maneuver started off too low, nor was it stopped when the apex of the maneuver was significantly below its allowable height, because the FCC was not aware of the required height and had no way of accurately assessing if the aircraft had reached it. The FCC was deemed to be an ineffective control. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Now, I mentioned safety systems, and this in aviation is usually in the form of a safety management system, or SMS, the thing that Nick has to deal with all day, every day. Yes. It enables an organization to determine its approach to safety and identify and address hazards. Guess what? Quote, there was no mention of an SMS in force at the time of the accident, and there was no evidence that the available guidance had led to the adoption of an SMS or equivalent practices among the operators of the display aircraft. AKA,
0: A.K.A. they didn't have one.
1: Notice, I did not say the accident aircraft. I said displaying aircraft, meaning any of the aircraft that day. None of them nor their organizations had an SMS. This is hugely indicative of the safety culture surrounding air shows at the time. Footage from several air shows showed low-flying aircraft flying away from the display area, overflying congested populated areas, and these events were not reported or addressed and were not confined to one pilot, aircraft, or venue. The problem was rampant. The CAA ultimately is responsible for regulatory oversight of flying displays, but there was no formalized reporting system related to flying displays, and the CAA had not implemented previous, relevant AAIB safety recommendations that they had already committed to implementing.
0: We're going to do this, but we're not going to.
1: They also couldn't provide their own audit reports to the AAIB, limiting how the AAIB could assess their oversight. I think if the AAIB could have backhanded the CAA as a whole over this thing, they would (laughs) have. Yeah. And that's what I got. Okay.
0: So the gist of it is he performed the maneuver poorly because he wasn't paying attention to altitude and speed. We'll talk about this in the second half, but that did lead to legal repercussions. Not only did it lead to legal repercussions those legal repercussions ended like days ago. I'm talking just a few days ago from today. Ooh. So, we'll talk about that in the second half. But yeah, it it was it was pretty ugly. It it was there's a lot of lack of oversight, training and mm, regulation it, it, on air shows.
3: It's almost like pilot incompetence but not on his own doing.
0: No. And it's not necessarily pilot incompetence. It's not to say that he couldn't do these maneuvers normally, but he kind of...
3: But he didn't, he wasn't
0: paying attention. He didn't put in the effort that day.
3: Like, he clearly, like, Mind you, understood the, al- the assignment, but didn't, like, do the assignment correctly. You know right. what I mean?
0: He went over the exact maneuver speeds, altitudes, everything that he was supposed to do the night before.
1: But did not did perform- None of them. And didn't perform an escape maneuver. Right. That's
3: the thing that gets me, is like, at one point, he probably, I would hope, have noticed that he was not meeting the numbers he was supposed to meet, and he should have pulled out of the maneuver.
0: Because, fun fact, they took another Hawker Hunter T7 and did this exact maneuver at the altitudes he had written and had decided on. And, they and decide- it went
1: just fine. They
0: decided it was perfectly safe and very capable of doing so. He and there was have- absolutely nothing wrong with it. They also did escape maneuvers. At all different points in the, the which we'll talk about in a minute, the the bent loop, and they determined that the latest that he could have abandoned it was four seconds after reaching the apex. So he still had four seconds of fall, and he could have abandoned the maneuver.
1: I think he should have abandoned it when he was setting up for it and was too yes, low. Yes, correct. And too slow. Yeah. Yes.
0: So we can only assume that he wasn't paying attention.
1: Because he was 300 feet too low, more than, mm-hmm. and was 40 knots too slow. Yes. Yep. So, anyways,
0: stuff for the second half. okay so <laughs> this was a 425 page report the majority, no it
1: was more than that
0: 452, 452 it was
1: 452 pages sorry
0: i mixed up the two and the five i couldn't remember because i haven't seen it since like yesterday the number anyways that said most of that are appendices but still still this is gross. massive how massive there were 88 findings
3: yeah, that's a lot of findings.
0: And 32 recommendations. That's a lot of recommendations. I'm not doing most of those. Thank you. <laughs> because you, I didn't feel they were entirely necessary. What I am doing... Can
1: you talk about the ejection? Because I don't talk about the ejection.
0: We can talk about the ejection. Because it comes up. I figured this would come up in the second half. So the whole ejection seat thing is is definitely a hot topic in this accident they made it very clear actually but we'll, we'll get there we'll get okay there. let's just go through the the findings first i still do quite a few but not most
1: <laughs> not most <laughs> this was fine and this was fine and this was fine and yeah that
0: kind of stuff exists plus a lot of other things and a little bit of redundancies too they found that it was the pilot's fifth aerobatic display in a hunter during the 2015 season and the only public display he carried out that day he met the recency requirements Specified in CAP-403. Okay, great. He He's technically qualified to be doing all of this.
1: Is CAP the same thing as CFR?
0: Pretty much. Yep. CAP. Yeah, that. Yeah. They found that the accident maneuver started and finished outside the aerodrome boundary, the airport boundary, over an area not controlled by the organizers of the flying display. The whole thing was done over the highway, where it's not supposed to be done,
1: Turns where out. it's
0: not... You know, where it's over congestion, like there's people there. There's literally people standing there. Maybe there's a
1: reason for that.
0: Yeah, usually it's supposed to be over the display line, which is the safe space. If something goes wrong, you're the only one getting hurt.
2: (laughs) Okay, new question. Yep. Do they not have regulations of, like, you can't be within blank feet of a congested area? Oh, no, they do. Oh, they do. Oh, yes, they do. They do. Did he follow those?
0: Right. No. No. This is actually a pretty strict thing, and has come under a lot of scrutiny over the years because of the whole... Thing with accidents happening at air shows and how it's kind of inevitable that the airplanes are going to fly over congested areas while doing their displays. However, the actual maneuvers should not be done over a lot of people. Like any sort of dangerous maneuvers have to be a certain distance away in altitude, and they have to be, if you're going to be doing any kind of like actual aerobatic maneuver, it needs to be safe distance away from people. If But say you exit that maneuver you're probably going to fly out over a road, maybe some houses, whatever's in the area, come back around, set up for the next one. And that's fine. That's expected. But those aren't the dangerous maneuvers that we're talking about. That's just resetting up for the next one.
3: Okay. Didn't we cover, I don't know if this was a air show, but mm-hmm. maybe it was the flight races episode where it flew into the crowd. crowd? Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. There yep. was an accident where the, the plane flew into the crowd. It's happened, at, a bunch of people. happened a couple oh. of times, actually.
0: But the Reno Air Races, there was a really bad, really bad accident where the airplane ended up completely in the, the audience.
1: Oof. Yeah. It was so bad. I'm it, though. 2011 Reno Air Races. Yep. Rated.
0: This year is the last year of the Reno Air Races. They're moving to a new venue, and we don't know yet. Now, so that being...
2: like a legit race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yes oh, Cool!
0: It's, it's crazy it's, stuff.
2: It resembles
3: NASCAR.
0: They have been oh. doing this for...
3: Driving left, you fly left.
1: Uh-huh.
0: They have been doing this for so long, probably going on a century now.
1: Now, that being said, in that circumstance, because it's further away from populated areas, I deem it safer. Yes. Because you're not at the risk of flying over congested areas. When yes. we went to the air show, what was that, 2014? hmm It was out at the Arapahoe. Fairgrounds. Fairgrounds, yeah. Which is pretty far from hugely populated areas. For
0: the most part. There's a few houses there, but yes.
1: But not, it's not the city. No. No. Now, The air show we went to at the Colorado Springs airport.
0: Mm. Actually, that one was pretty much out in the middle of nowhere, too, because that side of the airport has nothing on it.
1: Yeah, but they weren't always on that side of the airport. Yes, it is safer than other air shows we've been to.
0: All of their maneuvers were still over the flight line, which is away from people, runways and stuff.
1: I mean, the F-35 went behind us a couple times.
0: Well, yeah, but again, it's not doing crazy maneuvers behind us. It's doing something like making noise and flying right over us. And then it does its crazy maneuver over the flight Mm line because that's what it's supposed to do. The display line is there for a reason.
1: But you can mitigate a lot of the risks of air shows if you put it at the correct at a, at a proper venue.
0: Yes, correct. Also, I will say the not very talked about but also very pertinent danger of not maintaining your display within the sh- display line, the the that area. I mean, air show organizers you, will usually set up like boxes, these are spaces where the next display aircraft are going to hold until their display is due. Yeah. But if you if your maneuver is going to be outside of the display line, somewhere outside of that box, you have the potential to interfere with that traffic that's holding and other air show traffic and other traffic that's in the area that's allowed to fly there that's not part of the air show. So it's a it's also a hefty decision to decide to do a maneuver outside of a dis display line, a yeah. show line. Anyways. They found that a general permission granted by the CAA provided an exemption from the standardized European rules of the air permitting flight below 500 feet up to one kilometer from the display gathering. They found that the pilot's declared minimum entry speed for the maneuver was 350 knots indicated airspeed. The aircraft entered the maneuver at approximately 310 knots indicated airspeed. Too slow. They found that the maneuver could have been abandoned during its upward first half if an uncommanded reduction in thrust had occurred and been detected. Talking about the thrust issue. They found that there was no evidence of a pre-existing mechanical defect that would have prevented the engine from responding to pilot throttle inputs. However, the fuel pump governor diaphragm showed significant signs of aging and chemical attack, such that it could no longer be considered airworthy. So they actually determined that the the fuel pump governor diaphragm... that's Big words. Yes. I thought I
1: also read somewhere, though, that might have been part of impact that the degradation may have been attributed to impact.
0: Potentially, but if in one of the appendices, Rolls-Royce threw a lot of photos in of the diaphragm, including under a uh, microscope. And it definitely looks aged, not impact, because there's a lot of cracking in the diaphragm. I found that information included in a previous AAIB report indicated that there had been a number of cases involving the Avon MK-122 engine, where engine speed had dropped and subsequent engineering investigation had not established a clear cause. Therefore, an uncommanded reduction in thrust during the accident maneuver could not be ruled out. They just don't know.
1: It's one of those undetermined things. Yeah, Yep. I hate that word. Yep. I like determining things. (laughs) Sometimes they just can't, though. They just can't. That would frustrate me so much as an investigator. Maybe
0: that's why I'm not an investigator. Fair. Can't win them all. They found that in tests, the left altimeter under red by approximately 100 feet. It also exhibited lag and stickiness in its operation, both during testing and on a previous flight. But only in certain modes. Yes. Overall, these defects would have resulted in the altitude indicated to the pilot being lower than the actual aircraft altitude at the apex of the accident maneuver.
1: But they also can't determine, A, if he was looking at that one, right. B, if any of those were caused by impact or not. Right. And because that indicator wasn't seen in the video, we have no way of knowing.
0: No idea. We found that the right altimeter had a latent defect, which meant it was no longer providing a synchronizing signal to the left altimeter. In servo mode. Right. In servo mode.
1: Which he didn't use. Just right. to specify, he didn't. He said he would never used servo mode. But because he can't remember the accident, can't confirm whether or not that was the case. Right. But usually you stick to habits.
0: Yep. Usually. They found that no other technical defects were identified that were relevant to the accident. That is important. There were plenty of other things they actually found wrong with this airplane. A lot of them.
1: But it's an aged airplane. It's an old
3: airplane.
0: It's an old airplane!
1: There's going to be problems.
0: And they deemed that none of it was relevant to the accident. None of it mattered. None of it affected what happened.
1: Because the whole thing could have been avoided.
0: Right found that the pilot stated that he required a minimum height of 3,500 feet at the apex of the maneuver to ensure that he completed it at 500 feet or more above the ground, as required by his display authorization. They found that the aircraft achieved an apex height of approximately 2,700 feet.
1: Lower. Which the tests showed right. was sufficient.
0: It was still sufficient. Barely. Right. They found that the pilot stated that he would abandon a bent loop maneuver if the minimum entry speed or the minimum gate height at the apex were not achieved. He did not abandon the accident maneuver when these minimums were not achieved. So,
3: Yeah, in fact, he did not do the thing he said he would do.
0: This, this right there, that line right there, was the legal line in this report. That's what led to the negligence charge, which we'll talk about later on.
1: Now, that being said, so we haven't discussed this in a while, but reports like this are created based on... Annex 13 of the ICAO Convention on International Civil Aviation. Why is this important? I'm going to read this blurb from the beginning of the report. Mm -hmm. The sole objective of this investigation of an accident or incident under these regulations is the prevention of future accidents and incidents. It is not the purpose of such an investigation to apportion blame or liability. Accordingly, it is inappropriate that AAIB reports should be used to assign fault or blame or determine liability, since neither the investigation nor the reporting process has been undertaken for that purpose, end quote. Correct.
0: So. We've talked about this many times over, but the report should never be used in a legal case.
1: No. Because
3: that's not what it's meant for.
0: No. So they couldn't take this to court, but that line is the whole reason they went. Basically, and tried to charge him.
1: Now, that being said, we've discussed a quasi recent incident Mm -hmm. where there was a lawsuit prior to the NTSB report being issued. I disagree with that.
0: Correct. I do too.
1: Because you should, I don't think you should even pursue legal action until the investigation is completed. No, you cannot use that report as back up as evidence in your
0: lawsuit right. but, but there's you...
1: still information contained within it pertinent to
0: the right. lawsuit that only the investigators have correct like you don't have all the factual information about what happened so you can't make assumptions and therefore you shouldn't do a lawsuit
3: so there's my spiel on that
0: but lawyers gonna lawyer
3: and people are gonna when people are angry
0: they're gonna react
3: they want someone to pay yep and they will find someone
0: Well, they end up paying lawyers, is what they do.
3: Yeah. (laughs) The lawyers are the ones that get all the money.
0: Yeah. They found that the flight trials indicated that a rolling escape maneuver was possible up to four seconds after the aircraft passed the apex of the accident maneuver. That's the key thing. They found that the pilot had not practiced flying escape maneuvers in the Hunter. They found that the G experienced by the pilot during the maneuver was probably not a factor in the accident. This right here, also very important. When the trial came about, because the defense argued that what happened likely happened because of the G-forces the pilot was experiencing, that the, they were excessive G-forces and the G-loads were all m- made it all disoriented and affected the aircraft, which just simply isn't true.
1: It was a lot. Probably. Of, it it was, said probably.
0: Yes. But that said. The maneuver wasn't carried out at anything of what would be considered exceptional G-forces for a pilot that does this stuff on the regular. If you do aerobatic maneuvers, this shouldn't have been anything exceptional.
1: Also, he was flying straight and level upon entering the maneuver. Right. Entering the maneuver is where I believe he should have abandoned the maneuver. Correct. Not even escaped. He should have just abandoned.
0: Right. So while they were trying to argue all this G-nonsense, the reality is the maneuver was entered poorly. Right from the beginning... You just can't hold up the G-Force's argument.
2: Okay, new question real quick. Yes. When you say abandonment, do you mean like you eject yourself and just hop out the plane? No. 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 The
0: airplane just leaves the maneuver. Yeah. Don't even try. Yeah. So you're, you're like partway through the maneuver, but it's not going yeah. well. You exit the maneuver and yeah. do something else. And
2: oh, he okay. had
1: he had a contingent plan to do that. He yes, just did do it. Yeah, but okay. when he entered the maneuver at 185 feet when he was supposed to be at 500 feet of altitude. That's just... Stupid.
0: And 310 knots instead of He shouldn't even tried.
1: He shouldn't even like climb.
0: His agreement was oh. that if it wasn't 350 and 500, he wouldn't do it. And he did it anyway.
1: Now, that being said, I think it would have been a really cool display to see him do that escape maneuver.
0: Yeah. Yes, potentially.
1: I think that would have been just as impressive. But what do I know? So what I'm hearing is he should get a phone number.
0: If
3: <laughs> if he was under air traffic control. Oh, I thought But that's they that's he, a whole they, they are under air Not traffic control. Not in this case.
0: Rules. He got plenty of investigation and went to court, so he got, more than, he got more than than a number,
2: phone yeah. number. Yeah. He got way more <laughs> than
0: a phone number, I'll put it that way. They found that the CAA recommended in CAP 632 that operators of Permit to fly ex-military aircraft adopt a safety management system, or SMS. It did not require them to have one at the time.
3: Yeah, if you fly an airplane, you should yeah. have an SMS.
0: Along those lines, they found that the operator of the aircraft did not have an SMS or a documented alternative.
1: I would like to remind everyone that SMSs are not required. Yeah, but you should have one. You they are highly really recommended. have one. They are on the NTSB's most wanted list. Yes.
0: Now that said, pretty much every airline and anything that operates around an airline in the industry has like hey
1: that's a good idea we should do that let's do that
0: like the airline i work for has an sms the ground handler i have here in denver has an sms my maintenance company has an sms the airport has their own sms the airport fire has their own sms like everybody that operates in and around commercial aviation at this point has an sms anyways they just do they just should yes it's the right thing to do it's
3: a good idea
0: yep I found that the General Aviation Unit of the CAA did not have an SMS either. That one is the biggest thing to me. It's like just, in general, the the CAA's GA unit didn't have an SMS. Not that they do around the world either, but it's still something to consider. found that the organizers of the 2015 Shoreham Air Show recognized that the junction of the A-27 with the Old Shoreham Road was a popular gathering point for secondary crowds, so they knew that those people were there. They were aware. Yeah. They found that measures taken by the organizers probably reduced the size of the crowd that gathered at the A-27 junction. However, there were a number of people standing at the junction of the A-27 and old Shoreham Road during the flying display.
3: Yeah, there were people like us who...
0: Yeah, we would just go there anyway. We're anyways. poor.
3: We don't want to pay for <laughs> yeah, yeah, it. We'll yeah, just yeah. pull off the side of the road and watch the air show from over here.
0: Yep. There's always people that do that. Always, always, always. You have to assume there are. Every air show, always. They found that the rescue and firefighting resources in place responded promptly to the accident. They actually did a good job.
1: Woo. However, that's they were in for. danger.
0: They were in danger. That's they were coming in the, danger. That's coming very soon, very very soon. They found that the CAA had not established an acceptable level of safety performance for displaying flying. So
1: please refer to my, like the last third of my analysis. Yes,
0: pretty much. CAA just didn't have their stuff together when it came to.
1: I felt the other word you wanted to say. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when it came to air shells.
1: I felt it in my bones. They just
0: didn't. All
1: right.
0: Now for that thing we keep alluding to. They found that the activation of the canopy jettison system in the ejection seat was initiated by damage to the cockpit and seat structure sustained during impact.
3: So it got triggered from the cockpit being destroyed. Yes. But not the whole thing got activated.
0: Most of it didn't, actually, which became a danger to first responders because now there's loaded explosives. Oh, there's explosives all in the cockpit. Throughout this this wreckage. <laughs> yes, including in the seat that he is still strapped to.
3: Oh no.
0: They found that the ejection oh, no. yeah. turns
1: out that's a problem. This yes. sounds like a plot to a Grey's Anatomy episode. Where it's right? like great, you're severely injured. You have head trauma, but we can't get to you because there are active rocket explosive strapped
0: to you.
2: All yes. I can think about is the episode where Meredith has that bomb in the body and she's yeah. just holding
0: it. That's it. The the whole thing with this is that the, the first responders didn't necessarily know any of this when they went in. There's a whole nother thing they also didn't know, which we'll get to in a minute. But they didn't know all of this. And because of that, after the fact, the AAIB was like, what? No, not. <laughs> like, you went not- in there. Like, that's a dangerous thing to just not know about.
1: That's not all of it either. No, it's not. So there was another deadly substance. Yeah, I'm getting
0: there. Okay. Don't even go there yet. I'm I not w- even close. I want to go there. Nope, don't. They found that the ejection sequence did not complete due to the damage sustained to the ejection seat gun during the impact. So again... Why is it called I, a gun? I don't know. That's just what it is. So they, the, the pyrotechnics did not all go off. They found that some pyrotechnic cartridges in each of the ejection seats remained live after the aircraft came to rest. They found that at the time of the accident, the two-year installed cartridge life had been exceeded by more than four mm. and a half years. No, And the six-year total life had been exceeded by more than a year. No! So all of these cartridges were also not usable, but the engineers had to r- pull all the Remove Before Flight pins on them to make them usable before he left, and they knew that they did so. So they did intend for them to be used, the ejection seat to be used, in the event that they, it was needed. I would say it was needed, and it wouldn't have even been usable had he actually pulled the ejection seat handle. The look you're giving me is just, yes.
3: <laughs> What's the f- point? Yeah. If it's not going to work, can you imagine something like an issue happening? Yeah. Trying to pull the ejection seat and it's not working, realizing you're falling to your death.
2: That would be right. Thank
3: God it it half went off. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The only reason that he freaking survived. So there's not like a lovely little expiration date right next to where they have to pull those pins. Oh, there there is. is. Yeah. No one, they just did did it anyway. They did
0: it anyway. This is Ah, what happens,
2: it's fine.
0: This is what happens with old, expensive, hard to maintain (gasps) aircraft. This is what happens. This is what always happens. Every time when you're talking about living history, it's really cool that they're still flying, it's a really cool thing. But it is so hard to continue to maintain those aircraft.
1: We so hard, we covered the crash of a B 17, which by the way, those were used in World War II. Yep, okay, and it crashed in Connecticut because it was poorly maintained and it had passengers on board. Mm-hmm. It was on a like a a history flight. Oh. If I yeah. if that if I
2: remember that
3: correctly. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. There is a history of historic aircraft having poor maintenance. So yes. I assume no one
2: lived. No,
1: the not that. The
0: Commemorative Air Force is the largest historic flying history organization in the world and they come under fire a lot for this kind of thing. Yeah, it's unfortunate, I mean, but it's an organization of a bunch of different groups of people who restore these aircraft and make them flyable.
2: Well, that's fair, but just as a person who doesn't understand aviation, mm-hmm. if I were going on one of those trips, I would have no idea that, like, that could be a problem. Right,
0: and nor do they expect you that's to.
2: That's exactly one of the tidbits of the month
3: that I actually put in for June is, like, it's nice to see them fly, but they're really dangerous because yes. they're
0: really old and they don't make parts for them so, anymore. Right, they most definitely are. They have to have, like, remanned, very expensive custom parts made. It's very difficult. To and parts a for lot
3: those. of people can't afford that stuff. So they right. don't keep up with maintenance correctly. Because and then
1: it's the fan.
0: Right. Because you have no. to remember that not only are those parts very expensive, but for them to even go on to something that goes into the sky, they usually have to get an FAA certificate or an SDC. Yep. And that is going to be eight times the cost of the part, at least. Jeez. So, yeah, it's insane. OK, they found that the engine fitted to... The aircraft was not preserved during periods of inactivity, as required by the aircraft's approved maintenance program. So the engine was just sitting there idle, not pickled, not pickled. Nothing it was just sitting there idle with there open have been to a the wasp elements.
3: Nest in there, there
0: could have been all sorts of things. They actually have pictures of the engine after the the accident, all the internals and everything too. It's in the lower in the report. There are all of the pictures of everything, every part of that engine.
3: You think that's funny, but there was a flight that crashed because a wasp nest was in the pitot tube. Yes, we covered it.
1: Yes. Yep. We don't. We don't <laughs> just say.
2: F- for no yeah. reason. No, I know. It's just, I don't want to think about it. Nothing. Just...
3: It's yeah.
1: because it didn't have a cover on the peto tube, and it's the wasp. And this particular species of wasp likes to burrow into tube-like crevices and build nests out of mud. And turns out that these tubes need to intake air and it tells the cockpit what speed you're going.
0: An oh! An altitude yeah, and altitude and a myriad of other things. Very
1: yeah, it is yeah. A big uh-oh.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Everything in aviation has a purpose. That's what you find out about our podcast and the way we do yes. things is you you know all of these things that you see when you go on an airplane you don't consciously recognize all have are there for a reason literally we yeah. learned something from every one of those
1: there so. was um when we were doing the, our notes for the toilet fire one of the change i was watching the episode the air disasters episode and we were on a plane when i was doing my notes okay and you do. one of the safety features is like, oh, they've implemented it. We're now on the overhead compartments above exit rows. There's bumps so you can tell where the exit row is. And I, I did it, turned around. I'm like, oh, yep. look at that.
0: It's also <laughs> the one where they added lights, lights to, to the, the floor, floor so that you could <gasps> crawl under the smoke and still find and your way. To
3: get out because they could the exit. see their way out of the airplane. One oh. of those things
0: that we all think like, duh, that should just be there. We all know. But yeah. no, that, that, wasn't that, that really, actually came around for a reason. Yeah. <laughs>
3: And now some of them have like glow in the dark tape and stuff on them. Yep. Oh, in case the sake. electric gets blown and the lights don't mm-hmm, work. Mm-hmm. The t- there's like, especially on Frontier specifically, there's yeah.
0: glow in the dark tape, tape. Yeah. Glow
1: in the dark tape. Which is also cheaper to implement. It, it is. is. Yeah. Um, but
0: but you have to replace it more often.
1: Fair. I mean, yeah, but the lights aren't going to. So wiring runs under the floors and through the ceilings. You yeah. Know. Makes yeah. sense. If your aircraft breaks in two, you know what also broke in two?
2: The wires. I mean,
1: so. if the floors and ceilings.
2: <laughs> two. Huh? Are you are you going to survive that? Well, is it's that usually, usually on you impact.
1: Need lights. <laughs> Once you're on the ground and you're trying to get out of the plane, if it is filled with smoke and you're trying to get out. And it's dark. Yeah. No, I, I know. The what tape makes more sense. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying if a plane splits in
2: two and then it suddenly hits the ground, I don't think I'm going to need the light. No, no it, it splits it in two when it hits
3: the
1: ground.
2: Okay. If it does it beforehand, we got way more
1: problems. We got problems. way more problems. Yeah.
3: But
2: no, if it,
1: <laughs> if, so planes usually break into three pieces on impact. Yes. Don't know why. I mean, it's probably it's built that probably way. Just the way that it's built. But it's usually in those spots that all the cables for lights. Also the fracture. PA system. I Turns see. out that sucks for a PA system actually really bad. Because yeah, if there are people in the back of the plane and you want to tell them to evacuate, you now have to yell.
0: Yeah, and that yeah, actually doesn't screaming. usually work very well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause yell other people thing. usually are screaming.
0: Well, an aircraft are so <sighs> there's so much stuff inside of cabin and stuff. I don't know if you've ever noticed. But cabin crews can't even yell to one another, usually, front to back.
1: They use the PA system. Because
0: there's so much noise dampening from front yes, to back Yeah, that happens. Yeah, You're never going to be able to yell over that.
1: Mm. So there's, there's, a fear. there's a little there's a little trip through memory <laughs> lane of safety features we've covered and why they exist.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. Okay.
0: They have bullhorns and stuff now.
1: Oh. Yes, they do.
2: Wonderful. Because I want the to PA discuss system system this more be... in our after chat.
0: Yes. Sure. <laughs> Anyways, they found that the serial number of the right altimeter did not match. The, record, the one recorded in the technical records.
3: What?
0: Maintenance records were crap on the side. Why? Safety.
3: Why you no do the thing you're supposed to do? Yeah. Why you no do the thing?
0: The fact that the engine RPM exceedances occurring during a test flight in 2011 were not reported or investigated. They exceeded the RPM of the engine back in
1: 2011. Oh.
0: And it was never reported or investigated.
1: Hate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even great. That can
0: destroy things in the engine. By the way.
3: Yeah, that fun fact. That's like, uh, your car. You know how your car is mm-hmm. like a red line, right? Mm-hmm. You can't go over the red line, or yeah. you you hurt the engine. Yep. Most automatic cars won't let you do that, but if you have a manual, you definitely can, and uh, you can uh, definitely um.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do some damage. I found that the CAA oversight of the maintenance organization and the operator did not identify the deficiencies with the aircraft's airworthiness. Basically, they didn't have enough oversight. That's pretty much what that means.
1: And they didn't have records to demonstrate their nope. insufficient oversight.
0: Ready for the other fun thing? This is the very last finding I'm doing.
1: No. Ready. <laughs> is it finding 88? It
0: is. Oh. Hey. They found that the aircraft was fitted with underwing drop tanks made from phen- phenolic, phenolic
1: asbestos.
0: This hazard had not been identified, and that did shatter on impact and was all over the crash site.
1: And Which makes it completely and utterly dangerous. And they didn't know about it till a week after impact. So
0: all those first the... responders and all those people went in there to try to save, lives. and they were exposed, they were all exposed to, asbestos. to asbestos. So
2: there's a fireball full of asbestos with explosives. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. about, that's about the gist of
3: it. I
0: bet you can Splendid. guess one of the big changes that came about after this when Don't it came to air place.
3: Airplanes with asbestos? Actually,
0: no. It doesn't have anything to do with it. All it it's has also to do very with
3: flammable. By the way,
0: all it has to do with is Isn't it a fire
3: suppressant. Yes.
0: All it actually actually has to do with is the aircraft has to basically come with a pack of this is the dangerous materials in the aircraft that has to be handed to the organizers and they have to hand it to first responders before the air show ever starts. So they know what they could be exposed to with each individual aircraft before something goes wrong.
1: This aircraft was made in the 50s. Therefore, it has asbestos. It's basically like a material safety data sheet or an MSDS.
0: MSDS. Yep. I used to maintain MSDS. I used to have to read those. Me too. Mm-hmm. You just have to ship stuff with it. It's fun.
1: Safety. Every time Yay. we got a new chemical in the lab, it's everyone like just had a reading session of the MSDS.
0: Yeah, that's always a fun thing because it's like, cool. Here's a lithium battery. And if you actually read the MSDS for a lithium battery, you seriously think you could die from just touching the thing. <laughs> Every chemical ever that had an MSDS always is that way. That's it's why like they can't
3: carry lithium to batteries this. on airplanes.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're like exposure to this, prolonged exposure to this could cause, you know, s- skin rash, uh, your skin to fall off, <laughs> like, <laughs> like crazy thing. Like it's the MSDS for all materials always just makes you want to like stand eight miles away from it.
1: <laughs> Facts. Okay. Well, that we said, here are the causal factors.
0: Because there are no... There is no probable cause.
1: It's, the, it's Causal factor. The yes. Cause. Is, yep. it's, it's in the name. Right. The aircraft did not achieve sufficient height at the apex of the accident maneuver to complete it before impacting the ground because the combination of low entry speed and low engine thrust in the upward half of the maneuver was insufficient. An escape maneuver was not carried out despite the aircraft not achieving the required minimum apex height. I would also like to point out that maneuver is spelled really funny because it's, <laughs> it's British. British. There's like extra vowels. It's yeah. M-A-N-O-E-U-V-R-E.
3: Yeah, because they do the U thing. We
0: already no, spell it. it right.
1: has a U. They but put an, an o. o. Oh, they did and the an o. extra
0: E in the wrong place. No, they switched the R and the E. Yeah, the R way. and the E. Because British. Because it wasn't already messed up enough the way we spell it. <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't just be M-A-N-O-O-V-R.
1: But I'm not done. <laughs> Contributory factors. The pilot either did not perceive that an escape maneuver was necessary or did not realize, with an S, that one was possible at the speed achieved at the apex of the maneuver. Don't laugh at me. I'm laughing at you. The pilot had not received formal training to escape from the accident maneuver in a hunter and had not had his competence to do so assessed. The pilot had not practiced the technique for escaping from the accident maneuver in a hunter and did not know the minimum speed from which an escape maneuver could be carried out successfully. A change of ground track during the maneuver positioned the aircraft further east than planned, producing an exit track along the A-27 dual carriageway. The maneuver took place above an area occupied by the public over which the organizers of the flying display had no control. The severity of the outcome was due to the absence of provisions to manage the effects of an aircraft crashing in an area outside the control of the organizers of the flying display. Organizers is also spelled with an S. Yes. I'm not bitter.
0: No. Yeah, all those things. It was.
1: Yeah, I think that was a really tidy summary.
0: Kind of summed it up well. Sums it up. Summed up what actually went wrong well, but doesn't sum up all the issues.
1: Okay, what did they yell about?
0: The recommendations. These could be very long-winded if I really wanted them to be.
1: Summary. Summary.
0: So, in other words, there is a recommendation, and then the CAA follow-up, which they do, and they're paragraphs long.
1: Oh God. Oh. With gross. what they
0: actually decided to do. Summary. Summary. They recommended that the CAA require operators of ex-military aircraft fitted with ejection seats or other pyrotechnic devices operating in the UK to ensure that hazard information is readily available, which includes contact details of a competent organization, or person able to make the devices safe following an accident. The CAA actually took that one right away. Yeah, make, like, sure, yep.
3: make sure the boom-booms don't <laughs> go boom-boom.
0: <right>. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're like, yeah, we should probably have some knowledge on these things before they go fly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, skipping down a bunch. It is recommended that the CAA require that an ex-military aircraft maintenance program be transferred with the aircraft when it moves to another maintenance organization to ensure continuity of the aircraft's maintenance. This is kind of a no-dot to me. Usually it doesn't, it shouldn't matter where you take an aircraft for maintenance. It should have its maintenance logs. Well, it should have its maintenance logs, but the maintenance that's carried out should also be, by the book, procedural, and it should be identical no matter where you go. It should just be following the same exact Is that not how it is? That is not what happened. They went from one organization to another. One organization used to maintain the airplane pretty well. Another one just kind of went, eh, we're going to do about half of that. Mm -hmm. That's why they had so many problems with the aircraft. The gist of this one, the CAA decided they were going to work on this, such a program, but it is a hard thing to implement. What with old aircraft. It is recommended that the CAA review and publish guidance that is suitable and sufficient to enable the organizers of flying displays to manage the associated risks, including the conduct of risk assessments. So safety management systems, safety management systems and making sure that everything with the air show stays, say, over the display line. Make sure everything example, is assessed. Yes, make sure everything is assessed. All the risks that could possibly happen in the area. And that any
1: procedures it. that result from said assessment are actually carried out. Well, you know,
0: CAA decided to review that one.
1: They didn't just accept it? Nope. It, I have some choice words in mind.
0: It is recommended that the CAA specify the safety management and other competencies that the organizers of a flying display must demonstrate before obtaining a permission under Article 162 of the Air Navigation Order. They did accept that one. They decided that organizers of air shows need to be assessed and have an SMS before they can actually have the certificate to them. Yeah. They're like, these organizers should be competent in everything that they do, not just be handed, say, we want to do an air show. And they're like, cool. Okay. Here's, the, here's a certificate for it. <laughs> yeah. Have fun. No, it actually needs to be people who are competent in it. It needs to be trained and they need to have an SMS. Trained?
3: You want they- people to be trained? <laughs> How dare you? I know.
0: <laughs> Education, education, man. (laughs) It's It's a big ass thing. I know, for some reason. It is recommended that the CAA introduces a process to ensure that the organizers of flying displays have conducted suitable and sufficient risk assessments before a permission to hold such a display is granted under Article 162 of the Air Navigation Order. Not dissimilar to what the last one was, but before they actually hold an individual event, they need to be vetted. Not just in general, like for all of their events, like one particular event, they need to be vetted before it happens.
3: That would be wise.
0: The CAA did accept that one.
3: Oh, I would hope so. Mm
0: Mm-hmm it is recommended that the CAA specify the information that the commander of an aircraft intending to participate in a flying display must provide the organizer including the sequence of maneuvers in the ground area over which the pilot intends to perform them and require that this is done in sufficient time to enable the organizers to conduct and document an effective risk assessment. So say, here's the maneuvers I'm going to do, and this is exactly where I'm going to do each one of the maneuvers, and it should be over the display line, by the way. That way the The organizers can say, this is exactly the plan you're going to have to stick to. This is approved. This is what you're going to do. And I agree. This has gone through the risk assessment. This has very low risk. This will not cause any problems to the people watching the air show. Versus what he did, where they were like, cool, come show off. And that's what he did. And then it didn't go up. Yeah. It is recommended that the CAA require that displaying aircraft are separated from the public by a sufficient distance to minimize the risk of injury to the public in the event of an accident to the displaying aircraft. The CAA accepted that one. Huzzah. Huzzah. I mean, that's kind of a no doubt They kind of already did that, but it was more like, okay, we're talking about not just the show, like the people in the show. We're talking all the peripherals. Yes. Wherever they're going to (laughs) be. we got to be conscious of this. It is recommended that the CAA require the organizers of flying displays to designate a volume of airspace for aerobatics and ensure that there are no non-essential personnel or occupied structures, vehicles, or vessels beneath it. This isn't dissimilar to a TFR, but... With a lot more restrictions, like the people in that TFR would not be allowed to be there. So this actually does already exist and probably did at the time in the U.S. even. Like what they do is they create a show box, airspace, and they say this is the space where you are allowed to do maneuvers. It's much bigger than the show line, but this is the space in which you're able to operate for the air show. No other aircraft are allowed in and out. They don't allow objects on the ground. They don't allow people on the ground within that area. That's a whole thing. The show box is a, it's a predetermined thing, and the organizers set that up. They hand it to the FAA, the CAA, whoever. It gets approved. It then gets implemented day of, and that becomes the safe space.
1: Yeah. Does that get published on NOTAMs?
0: It usually does either get into the NOTAMs, or it just becomes a, a TFR that's obvious. The CAA did not accept that one. Oh. Fun fact.
3: Well, that's dumb.
0: The reason for that is because it kind of already, like we, like I said, it kind of already existed, and what they did was a little more thorough than that by creating such things as TFRs.
1: I would also like the record to show that all of these things that he is saying that they accepted, that the CAA accepted, there were previous AAIB recommendations that they had accepted, mm-hmm. but not implemented.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so just
1: because there. they accepted... It's one of those,
0: huh? It's one of those. It is recommended that the CAA introduce a process to immediately suspend the display authorization of a pilot whose competence is in doubt, pending investigation of the occurrence and, if appropriate, re evaluation by a display authorization evaluator who was not involved in its issuance or renewal. CAA did accept that one. So, this comes with saying, okay, we kind of saw what happened the year before. There was plenty of video about that. That should have been a red flag. There were some things that happened during that display that should have been red flags enough to say this pilot their display license basically should have been suspended until it gets reviewed, they get practice, and they learn how to actually do proper display. That didn't happen. So the CAA agrees with that. Yeah, It is recommended that the CAA establish and publish target safety indicators for UK civil display flying. Basically setting a a set of standards for for aerobatics. About it. That's really all that is. CAA decided they were going to do a study on that one.
1: Which is fair.
0: Yes. Now, these next ones don't have any CAA input on them, so this is just recommendations, point blank, period, end of story. It is recommended that the CAA amend CAP-403 to clarify the point at which an aerobatic maneuver is considered to have been entered and the minimum height at which any part of it may be flown. So, they're recommending that there be some sort of standard for, okay, a maneuver starts right here. There needs to be, like, a clear point at which a maneuver begins. And not only that, they're saying that whatever the maneuver is needs to have a target absolute minimum for all parts of the maneuver. Every time. Every time. And altitude, that is. And that needs to be adhered to. It is recommended that the CAA require pilots intending to conduct aerobatics at flying displays to be trained in performing relevant escape maneuvers and require that their knowledge and ability to perform such maneuvers should be assessed as part of the display authorization process. yes. You should not
1: be going into this having never completed the escape maneuver that you are prescribed.
0: You say, I can do an escape maneuver right here, but you've never actually done one? Mm -hmm.
1: In that aircraft?
0: Right. In that maneuver?
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not great.
0: It is recommended that the CAA undertake a study of error paths that lead to flying display accidents and integrate its findings into the human factors training. It requires the holders of display authorizations to undertake. Human factors training is always a good thing. Because there's always going to be human factors, and there's always going to be problems with that. There's always going to be. So it's just taking into account things that can happen specifically in airships due to human factors, since they are such heavily human factor-driven problems, usually. It is recommended that the CAA require operators of aircraft used for flying displays to identify and, where practical, remove any hazardous materials.
1: Yes. Like asbestos?
2: Asbestos. Makes sense.
0: Asbestos. It is recommended that the CAA prohibit the use of phenolic asbestos. Phenolic. Phenolic asbestos drop tanks on civil registered aircraft. Just don't have them ever. Yeah. Get rid of the asbestos, period. Please? And the last one.
3: No one likes cancer.
0: No. The very last one. It is recommended that the Department for Transport Commission and report the findings of an independent review of the governance of flying display activity in the UK to determine the form of governance that will achieve the level of safety it requires. They want outside organizations involved in this more than just the CAA, is what they're saying. Involved in safety, involved with everything. Yeah. Bringing in the Department of Transport, things like that.
1: Because the CAA obviously isn't up to snuff in this regard. No. Or wasn't, I should say.
0: Right. I won't
1: won't speak for the CEA now.
0: Yeah. And also, if you want to do things like block roads, like major thoroughfares that might be in the vicinity of an air show, I say the A-27, probably has to go through the Department for Transport. Makes sense. So that's it.
1: That's it. That's the whole thing. Wow. Wow.
0: This was in 2015. A lot of things changed.
1: Things happened. A lot of things changed. that's not all.
0: That's correct. Because now there's the legal aspect, which literally has notes and Wikipedia from just a few days ago. So
1: I am going to read both the criminal trial and the inquest portions of the Wikipedia page directly. Again, it's Wikipedia. Take it with a grain of salt. Proceedings against Hill began at the Westminster Magistrates Court in London on April 19th, 2018. He indicted. That he would enter pleas of not guilty and was bailed to appear at the Old Bailey on May 17th. The trial there started on May 15th when Hill pleaded not guilty and was adjourned until January 14th of 2019. Hill was granted bail. A pre-trial review took place on January 8th, 2019. Hill indicated that his defense was to be that he had been disabled by G-forces
0: during the flight. There's the G-forces argument again.
1: The trial at the Old Bailey resumed as scheduled on January 14th before Mr. Justice Edis. On January 15th, a jury of eight women and four men was selected from 56 members of the public who had passed initial screening. On January 17th, the jury were shown the video of the accident that had not been previously released to the media. The prosecution alleged that previous incidents Hill had been involved in showed he appeared to have a cavalier attitude to safety and played fast and loose with the rules. On February 4th, the court decamped to Gatwick Aviation Museum, Charlwood, Surrey, which has a hawker hunter on display. Jurors were shown the aircraft's controls and the instruments were explained to them. They were given the opportunity to sit in the cockpit of the aircraft and touch the flying controls. Both prosecution and defense provided an expert witness to assist the jury. Hill did not attend the museum. On March 8, 2019, Hill was found not guilty on each of the 11 counts of manslaughter by gross negligence. The jury reached unanimous decisions on each of the counts following seven hours of deliberation. The judge also formally acquitted Hill on the count of negligently or recklessly endangering the safety of an aircraft which had not been put to the jury. At the conclusion of the trial, Edis commended the relatives of the victims on the very dignified way they had behaved. Relatives of the victims stated that they were devastated by the verdict. Sussex police paid tribute to their dignity, adding that they respected the jury's decision. Outside the court, after the trial, Hill read out the names of all those killed in the incident and said, I am truly sorry for the part I played in their deaths, and it is all I will remember for the rest of my life.
0: Needless to say, yeah.
1: In the, inquest, the a,
0: inquest, this is a very British term.
1: <laughs> a coroner's inquest was opened on September 2nd, 2015, in Horsham, West Sussex.
0: This is also a legal matter, but this can be carried out by a coroner in the UK, not by a court.
1: After the naming of all the victims and a minute's silence, the inquest was adjourned pending the AAIB and police investigations. At the pre inquest hearing in June 2017, Sussex Police stated that its investigation was 95% complete. Due to the prosecution of Hill, the inquest was postponed. The date of the inquest, which is ruled to last for six weeks, was set for September 2020.
0: Guess what happened?
1: The inquest inquest would be held without a jury. The senior coroner, Penelope Schofield, ruled that the public interest can be served better by herself sitting alone. In May 2020 it was announced that the inquest would be postponed until 2021 due to the COVID-19 pandemic and to allow families of the deceased to attend the inquest in person. The inquest was further postponed to a date in 2022. In February 2022, the High Court refused the coroner access to video footage shot from the cockpit of the aircraft, stating that there is neither credible evidence nor a credible suggestion that the AAIB investigations were incomplete, flawed, or deficient on the issue of cognitive impairment. A wider concern was that allowing the use of the video would hamper investigations into future aviation accidents. Correct. Dame Victoria Sharp endorsed a concern that disclosure of protected materials would make witnesses less forthcoming in dealing with the AAIB. The yeah. inquest resumed on November 30th, 2022. A request by Hill that a verdict of unlawful killing be ruled out was rejected by the coroner. In December 2022, seven years after the crash, the coroner ruled that the victims were unlawfully killed. The coroner described Hill's flying as exceptionally bad and the airshow safety plan as not fit for purpose. In February 2023, Hill applied to the High Court of Justice for permission for a judicial review of the inquest. The application was refused by the High Court. In June 2023, We are recording this on June 5th, by the way.
0: So, this literally means within just the last few days.
1: It was reported that the deadline to challenge the refusal had passed. Hill had not challenged the refusal. So, this is still. ongoing.
0: (sighs) But here's the whole thing. Basically, what happened is the court, in court, it was ruled that negligence was not a factor.
1: But the coroner says they were unlawfully killed.
0: The coroner, on the other hand, has the complete opposite opinion. I. And the coroner has legal right to do so.
1: I just
3: feel like. He didn't mean to kill those people.
0: No, but did he? Did he screw
1: up? Yeah, their deaths were a result of his actions. Yes,
0: it's pretty hard. I, I am. I'm not going to say I'm amazed, but a little bit that the negligence thing didn't hold up when he clearly had it written out and stated what the intentions were for the maneuver, and he was supposed to have reviewed it the day before, and then he directly did not do that. Yeah. And never escaped the maneuver at any point in time before it was too late.
1: And he can't even testify to what his thoughts were at the time. Right. Because he doesn't remember. Imagine your life being ruined by something you can't even remember.
0: Right. I don't, I absolutely don't wish that on anybody. I'm sure that is devastating for him. Absolutely. Yeah. He never intended to hurt anybody. Of course not. No pilot ever does. But that is a rough thing. But at the same time, mistakes were made. Yes. Big Pretty mistakes. obvious mistakes were made. Also, the fact that the maneuver wasn't done over the display line and was instead done over a highway. Yeah. Mm, not, not a good decision.
2: A
3: result of his actions. Right. All right. Well, that was the 2015 Shoreham, Shoreham airshow Crash. Air Show Crash. Yep. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Heather, for recommending that one. That was a good one. Yeah. But remember to do all the stuff. Check out the Patreon. Uh, and you'll get to hear some of the post-episode stuff and blooper stuff that will be cut out of this episode because we're goofy.
0: That's right. That's and the word.
3: outtakes and stuff sometimes get taken out too because <laughs> we go on a tangent, and then I'm like, all right, come back. Come back. Make sure you look at the merch page and do all the stuff.
2: Check our socials.
3: Yay, socials. <laughs> They're like a thing now. Caitlin's been doing a really good job. So Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Caitlin, for being here. Yeah, thanks.
2: Thank you. I'm sure you'll hear it from me a lot. So
0: That's fair.
3: Anytime you see right. stuff now on socials, it'll be Caitlin, not yep. me anymore. Yep. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we hope you have a safe and healthy week, and we'll catch you all next week. Keep your speed up. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast and on Twitter at Hard
1: Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen.
0: If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com, where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions.
3: This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy and edited by
1: The Lovely Page. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us, plus Leo.
0: And our logo is by Naomi.
1: Thanks
3: for listening. Catch you next time.